Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Making Learning Special, where we talk about everything from parenting tips and strategies to early childhood development, all the way to the realities of parenthood. I'm your host, Madonna Lazo-Smith, and with me is my co-host and husband, Zach Smith. Today is episode 29, and we'll be talking about this TikTok trend that I saw called Five Things I Wouldn't Do As and insert here, insert your specialty, insert your profession. So for me, it would be five things I wouldn't do as a speech language pathologist and specifically a speech language pathologist mom. So I'm just gonna get right into it. So the first one, the first thing I wouldn't do as a speech language pathologist mom is asking too many questions or giving too many commands. So I'm going to expand on this a little bit because this actually, Zach and I had talked about this and I wanna be um, specific with you guys by what, what I mean by asking too many questions or giving too many commands. For a child who is just developing their language skills or a child that may not have a lot of language or might have the delayed in language, this specific one is important to do because you wanna build on their language skills. So, um, for kids who are um, developing language fine or they're okay with questions and um, you're interacting with them and having a conversation with them as you're asking questions and as you're giving commands, this is fine. So there's a lot of, um, let's say it depends on your environment. It depends on the target that you're trying to achieve. But in general, you want to speak sprinkle those questions and those commands more so than drilling them instead of saying, what's this? What's that? Do this, do that. Nobody wants to be tested. Nobody wants to be drilled, especially the, those two to three-year-old kids. They're going to back away from what you're trying to tell them. They might um, shift into doing something else rather than wanting to interact with you. If they feel pressured to answer questions or if they feel like they don't have a lot of wiggle room and you're not following their lead. Hence, I put that as number one, asking too many questions or giving too many commands. And you want to sprinkle those around in your interaction action so you could have a conversation with them so when is okay so when is too many questions too many questions like what is the rate at which you're asking too many questions too fast i know there's a ton of nuance to this like you said we did talk about this prior to recording this just mm -hmm. a little bit because me and you both have a little bit different approaches when it comes to this stuff i do ask ace a lot of questions because i like to get his mind thinking i like to get his gears going i like him to think critically and to come to his own conclusions and if they're right then awesome you did a great job. And if they're a little bit wrong, then I can kind of guide them again and let them know what's going on. So when is it too many questions? What, is it when the kid starts to be like, st like, stay away from you? Is it when the kid starts to like shut down? I mean, I would assume yes. But yeah. is that what we're kind of looking for when we know we need to back off here? Yes, definitely. And I love how you mentioned that you ask Ace questions to get him to critically think. Yes, that's awesome that you want him to be curious. You don't want to just give him the answers. You want to tell, um, give him leading questions and um, help him critically think because we want our kids to critically think. Yes, asking questions in that way, in that respect is wonderful. In this sense, what I'm talking about, and this is why I wanted to be specific about it, is because when we are, um, I'll give you an example. When you're playing with your child, and when you're looking through a book, this is playtime. This should be pressure-free. It should be fun, right? right? Mm -hmm. But um, 
sometimes what I've noticed parents doing is making it into a test or making it into an activity that is less fun by right. telling them to do things that they might not want to do. That's the commands or um, asking them too many questions when all they want to do is um, pretend play with you. So yeah, I think that's, that's I think so that's easy. a good a good example because kind of it's kind of like for adults, right? Let's say but the adult wants to start a business, right? And they're like, I want to do this because I'm very passionate about this. But once you actually start doing it as your livelihood, it turns from passion to a mandatory job. And when you start feeling like that, you kind of just like deteriorate. And you're like, I don't want to do this. You're kind of turned off from it almost. So I think that's a good example because adults feel this as well. Once your passion turns into a job, you're like, I don't feel as passionate about it anymore. Sometimes. Sometimes they do, and that's what allows them to stick to it. But sometimes that kind of throws them off their game, and they're like, I don't even want to stick to this anymore. This is, it was, it was fun before, but now it's like, now that I feel like it's mandatory and all that stuff, I feel like I, I don't like it as much anymore. So I think that's a good example. The kids should be having fun. Like they're, the, the, the kid's job is to, is to explore and have fun. They don't even realize that they're learning at the same time, too. But when you start turning it into a drill, um, you know, yes. and trying to force them to learn this and learn that. Uh, and by asking them a series of questions to the point where they're like, yo, this is not fun anymore. I feel pressured. I can understand why that sucks because I felt the same way as an adult. So I can only imagine how a kid feels when all they're trying to do is have fun. Exactly. And you'll see them um, moving away from you, turning their body. Um, maybe they're attending less. And what I've seen um, personally in my practices, if there's a kiddo who is jumping from one activity to another activity, another activity, um, sometimes what I notice what parents are doing is they might be asking too many questions or just leading mm. the activity too much and commanding they the child interest. to do too much. And they lose interest. So what we tend to do is mm. I tell them strategy is let's sprinkle those questions and those commands here and there, but you want to comment on what they're doing. You want to observe and wait and take a step back and see how the child initiates with you and what the child says. And automatically you can see night and day, the child is moving from one thing to another. And then the next interaction after they utilize this strategy is the child is able to stay with you a bit longer with that activity when they don't feel drilled, when there's less pressure. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. Number two. Number two is I wouldn't um, use baby talk. And this has a lot of nu nuances as well because baby talk, there's different ways that uh, people could interpret baby talk. Baby talk can be interpreted as goo goo gaga, ooh wee, or baby talk can be interpreted as more of a sing-songy voice and you are probably talking to your child in more of um, a, oh, look at that baby, how are you doing? And changing your tone, for example, or your inflection, right? So baby talk in the sense of using nonsense words with your unintelligible. child, often mm -hmm. unintelligible words, I would say do not use that. But yes, use baby talk like motheries and parentees. And that must, might be a new term for some people, but motheries and parentees is that you are changing your inflection. You are um, probably shortening your sentences and your phrases, but still keeping it complete. You are talking to them in complete sentences, but in a more sing-songy voice. And actually, people do this fairly naturally for some people. How you talk to the parent one time and then you turn to a baby and you, you talk to the baby a little more like you're talking to a child, basically. Mm -hmm. You can see that shift. 
Uh, and it's also motherese and parentese is very research based where kids and babies tune into this type of language when you're using it with them. And they're actually learning and developing words when you are, um, you're not necessarily singing to them, but you're changing your intonation. You are a bit more animated and things like that. They are um, attending to you a bit more as compared to you're just doing goo goo gaga ooh-wee. Just think of it as the Teletubbies. If you are old enough like me and Zach, <laughs> the Teletubbies, they didn't use real words, right? And there's no. some kids who actually start imitating that and they weren't using real words. That's a no-go. Try to have kids watch other, if you're watching, having them watch screen time, people who are using actual words. Especially yeah, that, with you kids know, who are just developing language is the huge part. Right, right. And it reminds me of something in my profession where we, we call it the principle of specificity or the law of specificity. Is It's pretty much states that like how you train is how you will perform. So train appropriately. If you want your kid to speak goo goo gaga-ish, then expose them to goo goo gaga. If you want them to speak like an adult, then you got to speak to them like an adult. That's the reality. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying you don't do the motherese thing. I'm not saying you don't slow it down. I'm not saying that you don't use simpler, simpler words because those are great starting points and those are great things to do. But what I'm saying is speak to them how you want them to speak to you. Yes, that's the bottom line. If you want them to be all goo goo gaga, then expose them to that. But I don't know anybody who wants to their kid to speak to them in a way where they don't understand anything. It's only going to frustrate you. It's only going to frustrate them when they think goo goo means milk. And you're like, what the heck is this kid saying? And why is he crying? So speak to their kids, just speak to your kid how you want them to speak to you. Bottom line, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, so on to the third one. So the third one is I wouldn't do or use the wait and see method. So we've um, gone through lengths of this in different episodes and why we wouldn't do the wait and see method. So I'm just going to summarize it for you guys and you guys could check out our other episodes regarding this. But the see and wait method, unless a specialist, and, and I'm talking about, you know, in the area, for example, in speech and language, unless it's speech language and pathologist is telling you to wait and see, your child has gotten an evaluation and they're telling you to wait and see, then go ahead, wait and see that was a recommendation but if it is a general doctor telling you to wait and see if it's grandma telling you to wait and see mm. if it is your husband telling you to wait and see and instinctively intuitively you have a gut feeling that you should not wait and see I highly advise that you do not do that because you know it's better to check out um, to look for a specialist or to get your child checked if needed. You know, what, what's the worst that could happen, right? They could get supports, if anything, or if they don't need that support, at least you have a peace of mind. But um, overall, this is not a great method to use because you want to gain the information that you need. You don't want to have your child possibly possibly um, be even more delayed if they have a delay because it's just going to um, get worse instead of better. Yeah. Yep. So, so what Madonna is saying is pretty much err on the side of caution because when you're not getting your kid checked, even though you, know, you have a little inkling that something may be wrong, you're not serving anybody but yourself. It's realistically an ego play. You just don't want to be... You just don't want to be told what the truth is based on your gut feeling because you think that if something is quote unquote wrong with your kid, then something's wrong. That's not necessarily true. Something will be wrong, though, if there is something at hand that you don't address. It can potentially get worse. So bottom line, 
err on the side of caution, get your kid checked and make sure that it is by a specialist, not a generalist. And when I say generalist, I mean a general physician. We have seen in the past personal experience, Madonna and I, when a kid has been I don't want to say discharged because they weren't in services yet, but they've been dismissed and put to the side. Like, ah, your kid's perfectly fine. When in fact, Madonna being the professional that she is knows it's not. That's probably the worst thing that could happen is when you think something's okay. And then the problem actually compounds over the course of time. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I could have gotten him help, but I didn't see a true expert. So please, 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 if you are having that inkling, make sure that you see that the specific person you need to, a specialist not just a general physician who might not know exactly what the red flags are. You know, a general physician might go over the red flags and takes them 10, 20, 30 minutes where like an SLP or something, for instance, might see it in 10, 20 seconds. See a specialist. Yeah. And then of course, doctors usually refer to um, specialists. If you have a um, good doctor, there are some yeah. of those doctors who um, are like, eh, it's fine. But most doctors, mm. Um, should be good and be trained to send you over to a specialist. Hopefully. One of the other things that I know um, with this one, the um, the wait and see method is that people will say, well, kids develop at their own pace. And yes, my kid was a little delayed or um, didn't talk as much, but they caught up. So it's okay. Right. We're there. There's a pushback with this one. Mm -hmm. But the reason why we have guidelines, the reason why we have milestones and expectations for that is so we know if our child isn't meeting those that they can get extra support, even though if, it, if it's a short amount of time or if they need it for a uh, long term. Right. So yeah. The earlier let, me add, let me share. Let me throw this into before you get on to the next one, too. Your kid might have, quote unquote, caught up. But what if based on your kids and in, like intelligence threshold or whatever it is, what if they're actually behind? But they were so smart that even when they're behind, they seem to be, quote unquote, normal. How much better could they have been? How much more intelligible and, and, you know, and smart could they have been had you have gotten them the help that they needed sooner than later? What if they're playing behind the status quo? What if they're be below that? So it doesn't become just a matter of getting them caught up to be quote unquote normal, but what if you never know, you, you just really never know. So that's just another way to think about it. My kid caught up. What if your kid never caught up, but he's just so smart that it seems like he did. He could yeah. have been two times better. Who knows? Now you're just playing with potential here. So uh, bottom line, err on the side of caution. Yep. All right. And the next one, the fourth one is don't water down. No or good job. So we've had a couple episodes about watering down no and when to save um, no for emergencies, safety purposes, and when you really, really have to say no. Uh, and, you know, one of the first words that kids actually learn is no. You know mm -hmm. why? Because they hear it often. No, don't touch that. No, don't do that. No, don't climb that, right? They hear that often. So instead of saying no, you want to shift it and you want to say what they should be doing. And this doesn't happen um, where your kid automatically, when you shift it, that they're going to stop doing that. It's practice. It's a repetition. They need to hear it often. So if, you, if your child is hitting, you say no hitting, no hitting. Sometimes kids really just hear that last part, which is hitting. You want to change it to soft hands or calm body or um, we use our hands for playing. Um, switch how you're saying self. It's, it's the same thing in, in your brain, right? When you're shifting how you say things in your brain, like, oh, I have to wake up and go to work. And you're shifting it to, ooh, I get to go to work. I have a job. I'm grateful for this, right? It's a, a shift. So you want to um, shift that early on for your child as well. And the other one that I hear often is good job. Yes, 
parents, aunts, uncles, educators have great intentions behind saying good job to their child. But when your child hears it too often and um, they get it too much, guess what tends to happen to it? Desensitized. It gets watered down. It mm-hmm. loses its umph. It loses um, your, your child. Sometimes I see kids looking for it right? You don't say good job. And they're like, Oh, what happened? Why am I I didn't do a good job? Why am I not? getting? Or or how about the kid that how about the kid that's so used to it that when you say it, they don't care? Yeah, it means nothing anymore. So they might be looking for it, or they might not care about it anymore. They're just like, "Eh, whatever. Yeah, so yeah, we we like to reserve those words for when it's it's very, very appropriate, like you're putting them in danger, they're just straight disrespecting somebody or something. That's a hard rule that you know, like this kid needs his behavior to be modified in this way. So I will put my foot down and say no, or he did a good job and you truly want to applaud his efforts or his accomplishments and have it bear weight. Like Madonna said, don't water it down. Don't, don't let them become desensitized of the words that you know should hold weight if you use it. Yeah. Keep it, um, have intention behind even your praise. And I would also say, yes, good job isn't bad, but also stretch it out and be more specific with your praise with your child. Instead of just saying, good job, good job. What are they doing a good job of? The same with the word, sorry. Why are they saying sorry? What is the intention behind it? You could say, oh, good job on putting your plate away. Or thank you so much for um, cleaning up. Thank you, right? You could change Mm -hmm. what you're saying to your child instead of just saying, no, good job, good job, good job. Right, right. Perfect. All right. And the fifth one and the last one is as a speech language pathologist mom, I would not use screen time as a primary means to help my child learn and develop. We've had an episode, a full episode about screen time. So check it out. It's episode eight if you haven't yet. But screen time, we use it to supplement learning and development. And yes, There are days where we need a break as parents, totally get it. No one else is there to help watch um, our kiddo and your kiddo is on the screen. But we also have to be mindful of how often and how we're using the screen for our child's development. I'm telling you guys now, this is prime time in your child's development and we are helping um, shape their brains. So use screen time cautiously. Yep. So yeah, going back to episode eight, I did, I believe I did touch on this, but you got to know the difference between utilizing a tool as a crutch or utilizing a tool as an aid. I believe the word that we used was co-watching back in episode eight, right? Where if we are utilizing a screen as an aid, as help to supplement education, we want to be watching the TV with the kids so that we can explain what exactly is happening, what they see, ask them what they see, letting them know what's going on, all that good stuff. So they're actually used, utilizing as an as in a learning opportunity versus some people who just throw their kid on a screen at the age of 11 months. Oh, my kid loves this show. I'm like, kid doesn't love this show. Your kid just likes flashing lights because it's mindlessly entertaining for this kid, right? We want to make sure that when we use screens, we're using it to supplement their education and their learning versus just using it as a crutch because, you know, call it what it is. You're being too lazy to parent them. That's the reality of what it is, right? Most people just want to do that because they want to break. And like Madonna said, it's absolutely okay to use it as a tool to get a break. But when you're using it excessively, now it's becoming a crutch. Now it's not helping, it's hurting. Oh, my kid turned out just fine, but it goes back to fulfilling potential. Your kid is just fine. But what if your kid could have been great had you have poured into him the way that you should have versus utilizing the screen as a, as a crutch instead of a tool? 
that's my two cents there. Thank you for that. Yeah. And there's a lot of You're truth welcome. to all the these. <laughs> well, there's a lot of truth in everything we've said. And yeah. uh, you know, just to summarize, the five things I wouldn't do as an SLP mom is number one, ask too many questions or give too many commands. Remember to sprinkle those around, especially as they're learning new language and developing. The second one is do not use baby talk as in goo goo gaga, referring back to the Teletubbies. And the third one is use the wait and see method. We do not want to do that, especially if it's not a specialist telling you to wait and see. The fourth one is watering down no and good job. Be intentional in what you'd say and shift what you're saying to your child. And the fifth one is using screen time as the primary means to help your child learn and develop. Remember that you have this one opportunity to raise your child. So supplementing it with screen time, wonderful, but don't let it be the primary thing. Anything else to add before we end? No, this is this is good stuff. Let's wrap it up. Hopefully everybody listens to these things and takes it to heart and starts to implement these things so that your child can get, you know, better sooner than later. We're all going to be they're all going to be end up good, but let's let them actually have the opportunity to fill their true potential versus maximize. just this quote unquote good enough stuff, right? Let's maximize our kids opportunity to grow and be great. Versus just, you know, good enough, he'll catch up. We don't want that. We want our next generation to be better than us. And by implementing some of these things or not doing some of these things, like you said, we're allowing them the opportunity to do so. Let's do so. Let's do these things so that our kids can be better than us. Yes, definitely. And we hope you guys found value from this episode. And if you did, remember to write us a review on whichever platform you're tuning into for, uh, and connect with us as well. You can check me out on IG, TikTok, my website at Making Learning Special. And we'll catch up with you guys on our next episode.